So this, this next uh, 30, 40 minutes, we'll have four men come up and share what we believe is the uncommon influence of faith in relationships in their lives. It's going to be some great testimonies of the people that have made impact, made a, a, a very incredible positive impact in the lives of these men. And I know that all of us could, could be up here standing and testifying of someone at some place, sometime, making an uncommon influence in your life. We could all do that. Whether it's the testimony of someone who shared Christ with you at a very young age, or it could be the testimony of a neighbor or a teacher or a professor or a business person or a pastor or a mentor. It could be any of the above or all of the above. And I do give thanks for the many, many people that have come into my life that have kind of molded and shaped me to the man that I am today. So I don't know whether to say enjoy the testimonies. May the Holy Spirit just use these testimonies to convict all of our hearts. You know, some say that that 39 years of marriage to one woman is uncommon today. I tell people that I I will be married 39 years in August. And they go, really? How does that happen today? It's uncommon in our culture to hear the two people have committed themselves together through thick and thin to make it work. And that the love of Christ binds that relationship. In Proverbs 18.22, it says that he who finds a wife, it's a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I am proud of, of my marriage to my wife going on 39 years. And I'm committed to help and strengthen and encourage and love my wife till death do us part. When I think of the person that has made the most positive influence in my life as a Christian man. It's my wife. It's my wife, Laura. I, I testify today that she has made the most difference in my Christian life than anybody else. Laura was the instrument that God used in college to introduce me to the Lord. 
It was my wife, Laura, who convinced me that more Christian business people are needed in the marketplace and to represent Christ and that I could do it. It was Laura who behind the scenes was my silent advisor with many of the important business decisions that I had to make in my job and thus having a very fulfilling career. Her uncommon influence has changed my life. I've had teachers, I've had preachers, I've had writers, I've had musicians. I've had mentors, I've had disciples come alongside me and add color to my relationship in Christ and add vitality to that relationship. There's only one person that has pulled the full spectrum of color out in my Christian life. And that's my wife. Honey, I really don't mean to put you on the spot. I'm in trouble. (laughs) You've helped me shape my views. You've seen, I've seen that there has been answer to prayer through your prayers. You've helped me strengthen my integrity. You've helped me see that we need to show compassion to the helpless and to the children. When all seemed barren and lost, when I lost my job, you were the one that kept on reminding me to trust the Lord. Not to mention your humor and your laughter add a lot to our family. You have shown me incredible forgiveness when I didn't deserve it. You are my uncommon influence that has made me a better man. I know we're not perfect, but what I do know is that we are complete in Christ. And you have shown me the grace of God through your life. Thank you. Proverbs 31, 10 through 11 says, an excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her saying in verses 28 and 29. Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Bob.
so at that end, we'll just finish now and go, right? Um, so when Jeremy asked, uh, asked us to think about somebody and share, um, there was one person that stood out to me, but then as I have gone on through the weekend and thought about it, it's hard to pick just one, um, somebody that has had a powerful uncommon influence if, wait, as you should say um, and so I thought I'm going to share two um, just because I have to start at the very beginning and there's a person that I really didn't know very long um, God took him away at a very young age for me um, but I think I can recall like, as all the people that have been in my life and growing up in church in a Christian home, it's been great. Um, but I'm a very visual person, a visual learner, and I can recall literally the first time I think I met Jesus was through my grandfather. And although I didn't really know this until after he was gone, um, I can think back to all these things in my life that have come from, or just little uh, snippets of hanging out with him or talking with him or um, even just seeing his family and the family that he raised and um, my mom and all her um, sisters and brother and um, just what he's meant to our family. So, on that end, um, that was just kind of the first time where I really started understanding it. And that's when I first became a Christian, was right after his death. Um, just asking about what, what happens, what, where did he go, what happened? And so, um, so on that note, um, I'm, like I mentioned, I've grown up in church and had a lot of different people. Um, those of you that know me know that <laughs> It probably took a lot of people to, to help me out and to help raise me because I am a little crazy. Um, so, uh, so it'd be kind of it'd be a long, drawn-out story if I talked about every single person. So I thought I'd think out of the box and think of someone that wasn't really there for me all the time because they were distant, and I don't even know if they know that they had an influence on me. Um, but when I was in junior high. Um, there was this worship leader named Todd Proctor. I don't know if you've ever heard of Todd Proctor. Um, he's a songwriter, musician, worship leader. And he used to come to our, to our church all the time and do our, our winter camps, and we'd go to student conferences, and he was always the guy leading the worship. And I can recall uh, maybe when I was like 12 or 13, sitting in... In, at our winter camp, and he's leading worship, and he's singing, he's going through his songs, Child of God, uh, Surrender, and it was just in those moments where I felt at that moment I was called to do what he was be, called to be doing, what he was doing in leading worship, and going into ministry, and I had, that's when I started getting into uh, songwriting, and I went home, and I started playing piano because he led 
uh, from the keyboard, and I said, that's what I want to do. So I went home right after camp, and I started playing piano. I started writing. Um, and then, so throughout high school, that was just my goal. I wanted to do this. I wanted to go to college and be a worship pastor and um, all that all that goes with it. And so we started a band and all this stuff, and we were going around singing and leading worship. I went to, I knew from that moment where I wanted to go to college. I wanted to go where Top Proctor went, and that was Biola. So I went to Biola. Um, didn't finish. <laughs> um, but I did finally get to talk to him again later. He started a worship guild kind of worship mentorship kind of thing with leaders and I finally got to talk to him about the impact that he had on me and it's just a pretty cool uh, I don't know if you ever get a chance to do that to talk to somebody and say uh, what they meant to you um, but it's an interesting conversation and we got he got to pray with me and we prayed together and um, something that always stuck out to me in my youth students will probably laugh at this because this is the verse I share all the time in youth group. But Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that was something that Todd always talked about. Whenever he was, because later in life he became a pastor. He's a pastor in San Diego now. And um, it was always, every conversation I had with him in junior high or later on was about um, just surrendering to him and our sacrifice that we make for him and how we need to give him everything. And I heard him do a sermon on that later at college. And it, it was some of that stuck out to me, just what that really entails and how when you, sacrifice it's it's sacrifice you can't pick it back up and take it with you because you've already sacrificed it it's too messy and so we need to really surrender that to him and so um, i've tried to really um, remember that in my life and in my when i'm teaching or when i'm talking to people what that really means so yeah thank you brad Thanks, Stephen. Uh, good morning. Um, I met Jim during my first year at Fresno State. I was a junior college transfer, living in the dorms, and I was not a believer. Jim moved in the room across the hall from me. He had just gotten out of the Marine Corps and was going through college on the GI Bill. Uh, what Jim taught me, what I saw in his life, was all about forgiveness. Jim loved Jesus, and he talked about Jesus all the time, and yet he also had this propensity for making mistakes and making bad choices. And the interesting thing is that Jim didn't try to hide these mistakes, didn't try to hide these bad choices, but he would talk about that, and he would talk about that in connection with his relationship with who Jesus is, and he talked about the fact that he needed to take those things to the Lord and seek forgiveness. And he would. And the incredible thing was, he was okay after that. Yeah, he may have had consequences to deal with, 
but he was okay. He had this recovery time that was fast because he knew that God, the God that he loved and cared for, loved him and forgave him. I'd never seen that before. It was really attractive. It kind of reeled me in a little bit. I think that's because what I had seen up to that point in my life, and, and, and since then, is that there's not, there's, there's not really real forgiveness in the world. There just isn't. If you make a mistake, you make a bad choice, you can either try that much harder the next time not to make the mistake. Right? We can, uh, you can beat yourself up over it over and over and over again. Right? You can try to do enough good things to kind of balance out the scale so at some point you think, oh, okay, I can feel okay about myself again. Right? We can, um, we can hide the mistake. We can justify the mistake. We can acknowledge or, or pretend that the, the mistake didn't happen at all. Right? Um, outside of Jesus, there is no place to take what we might feel, what we feel, the embarrassment, the regret, the remorse, those things that we feel when we sin, we hurt somebody, we make a mistake, make a bad choice, right? Outside of Jesus, there's no place to go in the world. At that point in time, you know, I could be pretty hard on myself. And I still can be pretty hard on myself. That's my propensity, right, to do that. Um, but as I, as I said earlier, Jim demonstrated that this restoral period, when we take our cares to the Lord, can be short because he, he, he forgives us immediately. He cares for us. And the funny reason I could see all this is that, that Jim shared all aspects of his relationship with me. He shared about who Jesus was. He shared about why he believed in Jesus. He shared about his mistakes. He shared about his challenges. He shared about taking them to Jesus. He shared about what Jesus did for him when he took it to him. He was an open book. Jim was transparent before transparency became a buzzword. Right? Um, Now let me tell you something. I was a non-believer watching his life. And not once did I get the sense that this was a, a, a cheap grace. Not once did I think that he just thinks he can do anything and he has his get-out-of-jail-free card with Jesus. That never occurred to me because I saw his walk and it was real. Um, You know, we all like to look good, don't we? And those of us in the church are not immune from wanting to look good to the degree that we don't want to share what our mistakes are. We don't want to be vulnerable because it's awkward. I think even when we're in the church and we're sharing about our faith, we don't want to share with someone that we have this problem or this, this mistake because it may, might cause them to think less of our God. It might cause them to think, right, this is what I'm thinking sometimes. Well, they're going to think that if my God is so great, why do you still have this problem? Right, that's what occurs to me. But Jim didn't care. Um, but because of those thoughts, we're less than vulnerable. We're not transparent like we could be. But once again, it was, it was Jim's willingness to share all of the aspects of his life that was so refreshing to me. Because if he hadn't, I wouldn't have been drawn in, I don't think. If I had just heard about who Jesus was and why Jim believed in him, 
but didn't see the weaknesses that Jim faced or the challenges that he faced or the love that God gave him or the forgiveness that he received, I wouldn't have been drawn in. If all I would have heard about was the sin in his life and nothing else, that wouldn't have been refreshing. I could look at my own life for that. And if all I would have heard about was the forgiveness that God gave him, then I would have thought that this was cheap grace. And I'd say, Jim, you're just kidding yourself, you know. But he was willing to share everything with me, and it was through that uncommon example that I came to realize that that's what I wanted. Um, I wanted to serve a God who, who loved me, who cared for me, who died for me, to whom I could go to with my mistakes and my sins, and I would be forgiven and cared for, and I didn't have to work on my own to balance the scales. He loved me. He would care for me. So Jim loved Jesus and clung to the fact, right, that he was forgiven and free in the arms of his God. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to cling to the truth, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to believe that we're loved when we feel so unlovable. Maybe after mistake. Yes, Scripture teaches that, that, that Jesus died on the cross, as we talked about earlier when Bob led us through the communion, that he died on the cross to offer us a way out, to offer us a pathway that is always available to him. Isaiah forty four twenty two says, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Let me read it one more time. I have swept away the, your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me before, because I have redeemed you. I love that verse because it paints such a beautiful picture of the adequacy of Christ's love and ability to blot out, to cancel, to remove all of our transgressions, our sins, our bad choices, our mistakes. They disappear from God's view like the morning mist disappears from our eyes as it goes away, never to be seen again. That's what God's forgiveness is like. It disappears from his mind. He doesn't bring it back. Ten years later, ah, remember? No. It disappears like the morning mist when we go to him. So Jim taught me that we can be free. So that's Jim. You know, I don't think I've ever done as good a job at being transparent or sharing challenges in my life as, as I think Jim did. But to the extent that the Lord has ever helped me to be able to accomplish that, you know, Jim was a key starting point. Uh, it's a lesson, an uncommon one that I go back to almost daily to remember that it is my God that I can go to. He is the one that knows me. He is the one that cares. And he is the one that loves me. Thanks. Annie? It's very tough to uh, come after three... uh, 
of that kind of testimonies, as a matter of fact, of a man that I look up to. Uh, I'm going to start sharing what, uh, where did it start in my life. And again, I'm, I'm going to repeat what everybody has said. There's not only just one person. The Lord uses multiples. He walks with us every step of the way that uh, he can uh, bring us first to himself and then after that complete his work day after day, trimming some of the dead leaves, chiseling some of the hard parts of our lives. Uh, I've been blessed to be born and I've been born in a, a Christian home. A mother and a father that they knew the Lord really and since the day one they were praying for all of us as a matter of fact. For We were several siblings. Uh, I grew up Playing church. Maybe some of us here uh, having kids, you know, bringing kids to every Sunday, Sunday school, and uh, children churches and things like that. And maybe, I don't know, you, you feel like nothing is getting through. Let me tell you that. Every word that they hear. It's like me. It's a plant. It's a seed. There is a time. There is a time, and the time is the Lord's time. It's not our time. So my father and my mother were praying for all of us, and specifically for me. That's what I learned later on from other people, that they would just go you know, in the church and they share with them that this kid is troublemaker. We can't really figure him out. So please make sure to pray for him. And uh, I grew up just not uh, things that happens around us. My father back home, we work six days a week. So it's only one day that you rest in. And this is not Sunday, it's Friday. But every Friday, I wake up in the morning, and my dad is sitting on his seat in his bedroom, right next to the balcony, and he has his Bible open. And he's willing to share, and if you have a question, he can answer. And I grew up, and I'm looking at this picture, and it's always at the back of my mind. Until the day comes that... uh, I was supposed to join the army and traveling to make the story short and he gave me a letter. I've been living in this home for about 23 years now with my mom and my dad. There is nothing that needs a letter or something in writing. I mean, he can tell me whatever it is that he can tell me and and he quote-unquote, he can preach to me if he wishes as he usually does. In my eyes, I was just a good kid. You know, I'm not doing as much as everybody else is doing, but as a father, he knew. 
there is no right relationship with the Lord. So he gives me that letter, and he writes to me, you know, uh, I am praying to see a change in you. My prayers and your mother's prayers are always with you. Keep attending church, youth uh, groups. And when he gave me that letter, he told me, you don't need to open it right away. Whenever you have time, open it and read it. And I opened it uh, the day that I was in a train going to kind of just finish the work to go and uh, be drafted in the army the second day. And I read the thing and it just I told myself, oh, here it is. It's just another uh, preaching for my dad, just, you know, but in writing this time. But I wasn't, you know, just wondering why did he do that. And the very next day that I came back, and I came back late at night, and uh, a couple of hours later, and Sanat was here, my sister. She was back home in Egypt. And I went to just sleep next morning, early morning, I'm going to the army. And here she is just shaking me up and says, Dad is not here anymore. He left to be with the Lord. Um, I understood that that was not a letter. It was his will that he wrote. Uh, as a teenager, uh, when you pass the high school and then you may be back home, it's scores that takes you to college, and you get good scores, you are maybe anticipating something maybe like, uh, I don't know, a nice bike, uh, you know, a good gift that, uh, you know, a couple of hundreds of something that you can do something in it. But he came and he told me, uh, I thought of what is it that the most precious thing that I can give it to you, that the father can give to a son. And I was, you know, I said, okay, now we're talking thousands, not hundreds. <laughs> And he gave me the Bible. And on it, on the outer side, written on it, the Psalm nineteen eleven. I have hidden your word in my heart, that I may not sin against you. <clears throat> Up till this time, I was, uh, after his passing, of course, I was just feeling the heaviness of, you know, my dad going to heaven, not knowing where is his son is going to be. But let us go with life and over there, like the Lord had used a friend of Brad's to, uh, to help him in understanding how precious is our Savior is. He brought to me in the army the place where most of the people, the good people, turn bad. He gets that person that he was not supposed to be in the army at this time at all. 
as a matter of fact. He was supposed to be excused from the army. And there was me and another person. And in a room, I can't say it's a room. It's more like a jail cell. Four by eight. Over there. Every time we meet, he opens the Bible and talks about the Lord. And one day, I just understood exactly what does it mean to give my life to the Lord. And in that place, in the army, I committed my life to the Lord. Experienced a different kind of freedom. Uh, I've been in the army in a camp that it's about two miles by two miles with three sets of barbed wires, wire fences, and between the, 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 the barbed wire fences, landmines. So you're, if you think in jail, you're more than a jail. It's a hard time to do. Nothing but sand and gravel and ammunition. But for the first time in my life, the words that my dad had written in that Bible, I experienced. Every single word that I've heard in the Sunday schools and the church services and things like that just came so very vivid. For the first time, I opened the Bible and I read it, and it's totally different. I can understand it. I can love it, as a matter of fact. I, I couldn't wait to wake up the very next day, early morning, so I can read my Bible or sit and pray to the Lord. But uh, I just don't want to make it more tragic that days passed. And we, of course, left the army and every one of us went his own ways. And I was looking for that guy that was with me in the army, trying to just get back to him and, you know, share with him what the Lord is doing in my life right now. And then I figured out that he died and he's with the Lord at a very young age. So... Uh, Two things that I want to encourage you with. If you had, or if you have a kid, I'm sorry, if you have a kid, and he's kind of gray, you don't know where is he, keep praying. Keep praying. Our parents, they may come to their end of the life, but the Lord never forgets. The tears of those who cared for us enough to pray for us. They're there with the Lord. They're preserved. And there is a time that the Lord is going to answer these prayers. And in the same time, make sure that your kids are somewhere around the church, around youth groups, around Sunday schools because even though they look like they don't get anything no, there are seeds planted and there's a time that the Lord is going to bring them up okay uh, let's uh
just I have a responsibility that we pray right now, and uh, it is a time for uh, to remember that uh, part of our worship is the offering, of giving to the Lord of what he already gave us, portion of what he gave us. Uh, the offering box is at the back, right in there. And at the same time, if you are a visitor or if you have any prayer requests, please fill up the cord that it is at the back of the seat in the front of you and just drop it at the other uh, box. So let's bow uh, for prayer. <coughs> Lord, we praise you. We love you. And as we come before a, uh, the remembrance of what you did uh, today, that the first Sunday of the month, uh, we are reminded day after day that you are our Father. You are uh, the one who loved us enough that you died for us, that you carried our sin, and you gave us your blood to cover us, that we may become clean, not just only clean, but righteous in the eyes of the Father. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We come before you this morning and uh, ask that you will accept the uh, offering that we uh, give, not just because of anything of us, but for understanding that you gave us everything. And out of what you gave, out of your hand, we just give back to you as a, a matter of obedience to you, uh, to you Lord. We love you, uh, and, and we just... Uh, give you all the glory and the worship that you deserve this morning and the rest of our lives, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we do pray.